You're listening to the Holt Center Podcast, and on this episode, we're talking about the upcoming Eugene Concert Choir performance, Black is Beautiful, which will be at the Holt Center on May 7th. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Eugene Rogers, founding director of Exigence Vocal Ensemble, and Alyssa Marar, who is the marketing and public relations director from the Eugene Concert Choir. Hello, Dr. Eugene Rogers is joining us. And we are so excited and fortunate to have you, Eugene, joining the Eugene Concert Choir for Black is Beautiful. Can you tell the listeners about who you are and your musical background? Hi, good afternoon or good morning or whatever it is. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you so much for this. Uh, Exigence is so excited about being a part of this historic concert. And I just love the title, Black is Beautiful, and um, uh, Diane Retallick and her vision uh, and inviting us with, with to work with Eugene Concert Choir is a huge honor for us. My background is pretty broad, so I'm going to keep, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of that background and say that currently um, I'm the founding director of Exigence, and we began in 2018. Uh, Exigence's name means uh, a great need. Um, and uh, when I have always been affiliated and connected to the Sphinx organization, who's our sort of our mother organization, if you will, that was built, gosh, that was created 25, over 25 years ago for mainly orchestral players through competitions, through bringing groups together, individuals together from the Black and Latinx community with the idea of fostering more diversity in the arts and specifically creating a pipeline to support our major orchestras, which often don't reflect our country. Uh, After really being so um, interested and connected to their mission, I felt like vocally we had a similar issue on the professional level and reach out to the Sphinx organization about just creating, getting a support for a new group that I wanted to start. And they said to me, no, your vision is so aligned with ours. Let's partner. And therefore, Exigence was born to also celebrate diversity in the arts. Uh, And our group is made of, of composers, singers, professional singers, conductors, all really uniting together to celebrate this diversity in the arts at the highest level possible. Um, and my, that's one of my, my, that's one of my jobs and groups that I direct. And I also am director of choral activities at the university of Michigan, where I um, teach uh, eight graduate students and conduct two ensembles. Uh, and then I also am uh, the artistic director of the Washington course, which is a symphonic course in the DC area. So um, uh, it's pretty busy. Uh, and so my background uh, is pretty broad and from teaching to editing, composing, uh, conducting, and all of that. Excellent. Well, uh, stepping back a little bit, um, how did you get started in music and what inspired you to walk this path in life? Hmm. You know, I don't remember a day that I have not been making music. I, 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 as, as a little boy, I would, I grew up in rural Virginia and I just, I have 
early memories of just singing everywhere. And I lived in a, 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 on a dirt road. And so they would, the, when I would come home from school, they would drop us off at the, at the, the top of the road and I'd walk and I would sing that entire way home. I'd serenade my whole community. And finally, somebody said, let's get that boy in church and give him a solo when I was five. Uh, and that is when my singing began. And I started then traveling around and singing and talent shows and church programs. And finally, I was able to get piano lessons from my middle school teacher, Daphne Smith, who is a family member now. And had I not been for her, I would have not have really been able to have a formal career in music, uh, in terms of classical music, I should say. Um, and so it was through her that I, gosh, I opened my eyes to all of, so many diverse styles. And uh, that's when my life changed. And I realized that I wanted to make a, a living out of this. And from there, I went to undergraduate in Illinois, University of Illinois, and then University of Michigan for my master's and doctorate, stopping to teach in between all of those degrees. And and the rest is history from there. So I, I just have always felt like music was a, a very close friend. And now it's not only a friend, it's my profession. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, for our listeners who may be hearing about the Black is Beautiful project for the first time, uh, this project includes a week-long artist residency with Eugene and Exigence, um, and that will conclude with the Black is Beautiful concert on May 7th, but the residency also includes um, a community forum on May 6th at the Holt Center, and we really hope that you, the listener, will want to come out and get involved and yes. speak with Eugene and see what he has to say in person. Uh, so... With all that in mind, Eugene, what excites you most about the Black is Beautiful project uh, wow. and or the performance of Black is Beautiful? Yeah, so much. I mean, if, thinking of the week, I, you know, one of the things that I love about Exigence is not only their ability to perform at a very high level, but also their, because there's such diverse talent in the group, there's so many teachers, whether they're private voice teachers or teachers of conducting or teachers of composition in addition to performing. I love, this is like a perfect week for us because not only do we get to have this project at a very high level, we get to collaborate with new friends, the Eugene Concert Choir and Orchestra. We get to work with um, solo singers. Two of our voice professors are going to be doing private lessons. I'll be doing some choral clinics as well as conducting, um, working with some conductors. I think there's a possibility of our composers. Our feature composer is a member of the ensemble, as well as we have other composers in the group. Um, there's just, we love being able to share our performance and work with the community. This is perfect. So it's hard for me to say what I'm most excited about because it allows us to sort of, sort of wear all of our hats from being both pedagogues as well as performers. And so I'm excited about it all, really. And I, I don't know if you know about this. I had a small window of teaching in Salem, Oregon. I've also conducted the Oregon All-State Choir once in my life, and I've conducted the All-Northwest Honor Choir twice. So I have a, a lot of friends and a lot of connection to the state of Oregon. So for me, it's a little bit of a homecoming, actually. Oh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. I'm glad, glad to hear that. And yeah, uh, yeah our community is so, um, so lucky to have this opportunity. And I really hope that 
people are going to want to come out and, and yes. really get involved. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, well, um, you will be conducting the first half of the Black is Beautiful concert. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us about some of the repertoire in that part of the program? Sure. Um, Exigence will form a, a small set. We're, uh, one of the pieces is going to be a brand new premiere, so I don't have a title of it yet, but Stacy Gibbs, composer, is writing us a piece called The Hymn, actually, uh, that uses uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing and the Battle Hymn of Republic. And it will be um, uh, sort of um, a musical... Uh, if you will, commentary on his thoughts about America today. Uh, so we, I haven't even seen the score yet, so I'm very excited about premiering this piece. Um, we will be performing, um, and a couple of things are still in the in discussion, we'll be performing uh, Derek Spiva's sort of um, cutting edge, new sort of approach to core music called A Vision Unfolding, which is really a message of ours, a vision unfolding in terms of uh, opening our mindset about what choral music should look like, what conversation should be had on the concert stage, as well as um, a vision for our various communities, the Black and Latinx communities, and how we hope to see them in the world, as well as in the classical sphere. Uh, and then uh, Augustus Hill, we have a, a strong connection, of course, to the city of Detroit. That's where the headquarters of Sphinx is. And Augustus, Dr. Augustus Hill wrote, a, arranged a spiritual called Fix Me Jesus that features one of our leading mezzo-sopranos, Liana Wimberly-Williams, and we will also be performing that work, which is a moving experience. It, I call it choral art song because the way he has arranged the spiritual it is it is a truly a work of art in every way uh, and that'll be followed by then joelle thompson's powerful seven last words of the unarmed which is a work um, that i've had the chance to premiere and champion since 2015 that has in some ways become the black lives matter classical response to to a lot of things that we've seen in terms of police brutality uh, and then that'll be followed by my arrangement of John Legend's and Common's Glory that'll feature two of our very own artists as soloists. So um, very excited about that first half. It's a, it'll be a thrilling first half, sharing the intimate nature of repertoire with Exigence, but then with the Eugene Concert Choir, the Eugene Orchestra, and Exigence performing together Joel Thompson's powerful Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. Yeah, I am personally so excited to hear that one. Everything I've heard about that work is just incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, and could you tell us a little bit about what it's like to um, collaborate with another choir for a piece like that? What it's like to collaborate with Diane Retallick, our um, uh, artistic director and conductor of the Eugene Concert Choir? Well, Diane is nothing short of amazing to me. I am, I've become a, a big fan. She and I uh, have a, a, a Zoom cell phone relationship. <laughs> we've met each other once, but we, have, we feel like we are kindred spirits and can't wait to work together because without her vision of this concert and having Exigence be a part of it, you know, none of it would have happened. And so we, I just, I'm so indebted to her and her, her, her perseverance and vision behind this. That's the sole reason why we're here and we're humbled and honored by that. 
Um, we love collaborating. Of course, it changes the whenever this, you know, Exigence premiered the SATV version of this. However, the University of Michigan premiered the original form of this, which was TTBB. And so um, we love performing this work. We've only performed it once with another choir. And they were, that was my, uh, the Washington Chorus, a smaller cohort of them. But I think this is with the full Eugene Concert Choir. So this will be very different for us to have this work done with all of those voices. Um, because Diane is so connected to me and, and the conversations we have, I know that the preparation will all will be in a way that feels organic. This is not a work that every choir should just say, we're going to do this and start it from page one and go to the end. There needs to be a lot of conversation. There needs to be a lot of discussion about the process, why the work is written, what are the words mean, how does it connect? Joel has written the work in such a way that it the singers are singing either the last words or the last correspondences of the victims. So therefore, some of those words are very charged and some of the ways that he sets the work. The work is um, was really a diary entry. He never meant it to ever be performed. So there are some things that are really raw. There are some things that are sad and uh, there's some heart, some joy from Amadou Diallo, who says, Mom, I'm going to college. But then there's some moments of absolute anger and, and fear. And so to ask choirs to step into that space can be challenging. And so we're, we're looking forward to collaborating with another choir. But we know that that's going to be a lot of our process, right, of getting us on the same page emotionally so that we can really allow nothing but the music and those last words to come to the fore and not one's discomfort because Joel asks a lot of the listener. Uh, and then glory is a call to action. I, when, I, when I first premiered the work, um, I felt like we needed to not end with um, I can't breathe. I wanted to not, I wanted the audience to, to feel like, okay, what do I do with this? I've heard this work. It's challenged me to think about maybe things differently or feel things that maybe I haven't felt, allowed myself to feel in this top, in this space. But I wanted to leave people with, we can work together and make change. And glory ends with, we change the spoken word and it talks about us coming together as one if we really want to make a difference. And there's no better way, right, than to see black and brown people on that stage together talking about making change for good. And so um, I'm looking forward to it, but there will be an emotional journey. I'm hoping that possibly I can come out to see the choir beforehand. It will make that week a little easier just so they can already begin that emotional prep. It's not just musical prep. So if if not, that's what a lot, some of our time will be, is really, really coming together as one before that performance. And I've definitely been hearing from our choir that uh, they're already processing and uh, mm -hmm. really working through the emotional response yes. to the works. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think you've programmed it in a way where it's really, it's going to be a journey that uh, ends in a place of hope, it yes. sounds like. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and hope and call to action. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
because um, there's work to be done that's not can't come from any group of one group of people, right? It has it's 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 community work, it's humanitarian work, and so um, I, I yeah I, I I'm looking for that's I love that journey, especially when people come open. It, it's it can't work if people start with a, a position of being closed. Um, if you're going to perform it, you can be closed as a listener, but not as a performer, not, not and really communicate the message. And so I'm looking forward to, um, bringing that to the fore, to Oregon. I don't know if this is an Oregon premiere or not. I don't know if it's been done out there or not. So. Uh, well, I'll have to look into that. I don't know of it having been <laughs> done out here. So, uh, I would not be surprised if it is the Oregon premiere. Sure. And yeah, and I certainly hope that our listeners will come with with the openness and uh, really with the desire to go out and get involved and be the be the change and have conversations. You know, sometimes change is not necessarily sometimes people think if I don't march, if I don't do this or that, I'm not making change. Change can happen right in your home with your children right in your churches or synagogues or mosques. Change happens in those small little things, how we greet someone, how we open the door. That's the the matter of are we in our own sphere of influence trying to make this place a better place so that we all can be seen as equals and together. That's that's really, to me, um, I think the bigger change, you know, the work um, Joel, when I think about his process, as I said, it was a diary entry never to be performed. It, you know, there are some raw, there are some experiences, um, emotions that I think he allows us to enter in that um, maybe if he was thinking that he was writing it for an audience, he wouldn't have written it in a certain way. Um, but I, we, we have been nothing but grateful that he has allowed his diary to be made public, if you will, so that we can also go on that journey on our own way as well. And can you tell us a little bit more about how that piece came in? I've I've heard a little bit about the history of yeah. uh, Joelle's process and uh, sort of that other people wanted this to become more than just a, a diary entry. Sure. Um, but yeah, I would, yes. we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, Joelle Thompson, when he, when the, the officers who um, we know um, killed Eric Garner, were not indicted. That evoked, in, it, it sort of caused a, a, a real emotional response in a lot of us. But for Joel, he needed to deal with that pain. And for him, that was like we all do, we turn to the arts. He turned to composition, even though at that time he was more of a conductor than a composer. And so that he was studying, conducting then actually, and was studying um, the seven last words from the cross of Haydn's, Haydn's setting, and began to use um, Shirin Bargi, who's an Iranian-American artist um, and journalist, and began to use her pictograms. She began to have create pictograms based on the last words of victims every time one would happen. He began to he he collected seven of those that most aligned with the text structure of Haydn's seven last words from the cross in order to give it some kind of cohesion, if you will. 
and thus began to write. And using his compositional background and his eclectic background of styles, every word is, every, every person's words is set differently. So you have seven different styles, if you will, from this funereal dirge of the beginning of Officers, Why Do You Have Your Guns Out, to this, this I call a death fugue, a chase, to why, what are you following me for, of Trayvon Martin, and you, you hear the chase in the fugue to this um, almost saccharine, sweet, if you will, musical theater-esque of um, um, It's Not Real, playing on the idea of a dream, but also dealing with um, John Crawford's words when he was killed for having a BB gun in Walmart, um, that it's not real. But also, is this, is this really happening? This isn't real. So the work is absolutely brilliant. It is not very long because it's 15 minutes in length, it gets right to the point. It gets in and gets out. And every word pre presents a different, if you will, musical expression. So he wrote that and put it away. And then something else happened. Another person was killed. That that his, his, his a friend of his at the time said, you know what? I think you have to hear this. I think you need to let this at least be heard. And he then went on Facebook and said, I'd like to do a reading of this, not a performance, a reading and called all of his friends, anybody who wanted to come out and just do a reading of the work. And at that reading, someone said, I think you should show this to, to Dr. Eugene Rogers to consider performing this with, at that time, I used to be the conductor of the Michigan Men's Glee Club, which is a hundred voice um, ensemble of tenors and basses. And um, I sat on the work because I... That's a group that is mostly known for its, you know, its fight songs and being excellent, but also school spirit, rah, 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 mostly non-African-American. I'm not anti-police in any way. We need the police in our lives. There's, com there's conversations that need to happen, but I don't want to necessarily live in a country without police. However, I knew that this was going to be cause um, how, and this is a group that's prided itself in never taking political stances in any way. So how could we sing this work? Because even though the work was not meant to be political, again, it was a diary entry, a processing of emotions. I knew that people would have a hard time potentially not seeing it as that. So we then after I so I put it away because I'm like, I don't think there's a way I can do this, even though I love it. It speaks to me as an African-American. How can I do this work? And finally, my inner voice, I call it the Holy Spirit, whatever folks call that, kept coming back to me and said, loss. We may not can relate to the reasons, but we all can relate to losing someone we love. So we then formed a concert called Love, Life and Loss. And we presented this piece as a conversation about loss. And we were also going to South Africa at that time, studying the teachings of Nelson Mandela and the Ubuntu principle, which is that we are all more human through the humanity of others. So we also use that philosophy, thinking about their humanity, their lives, their loss. We can connect to that regardless of our political stance or views. Loss is loss. And so that is how we first performed the work. You know, post-George Floyd and when George Floyd was killed, there was a lot of conversations about Black Lives Matter, conversations about the issues in this country of racism that we were not having as boldly or as broadly prior to that. It's interesting now, the statements that we make and conversations we can have around the piece would be very different than 2015 
when the, when Black Lives Matter was sort of just coming to the fore, people didn't know what that was about. And of course, there are others who still feel that way, but we've definitely come a long way post-2020 and the death of George Floyd about having these conversations. So that's the process. And Joel allowed us through this work to premiere the work that he never, ever intended to be heard. Well, that is definitely important work that happened. And uh, mm. I'm so glad it all happened. <laughs> I am too. I'm glad he trusted us. And that's the thing, you know, and I, I, it, I actually didn't know how close it was to him in that respect. In other words, I never knew that he, until after I had gone on the process, but I am so honored. I used to thank him. Thank you for trusting us enough with your own emotions uh, because for him, every time it's performed, it is like hearing or feeling his own his own feel. You know, things being publicly being exploited or being you know shared, if you will. Right. So right. it's taken him a minute to get comfortable, and now he and he's a founding member of Exigence. So at first, he was always a listener, but he's now performed it multiple times as a member of Exigence as well, and he'll be performing uh, on this concert as a member of the ensemble. There's definitely a different, he says that has also taken him on another journey, you know, actually being inside of the score and performing it as well. So that's such a gift to, to all of us yes. listeners and uh, all of us humans. It's mm-hmm. uh, I'm getting chills just hearing you talk about uh, the work itself and, mm-hmm. and the whole process. It's thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I am. Uh, I really can't wait to, to see that on our stage here in Eugene. That's, it's mm-hmm. going to be amazing. And the, the conversations we hope will happen before, during, and after. Um, that for me is, um, for us, it's almost equal, if not more than the performance. And we hope that there will be space for that, for not only us as performers. I mean, we will make space. Joel is, one of the things I can tell you is that he is adamant about that choirs have to have make that space. But I'm hoping there will be space for the audience as well to uh, have begin their own dialogue in whatever form or way. I find sometimes people need time to go process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people want to just talk right away. You know, I want to talk about this. What is this? Why is this? You know, um, there is sevenlastwords.org that I would encourage people when the Michigan Men's Glee Club, after, you know, we're at a public institution and we felt strongly that we wanted folks to understand our process of performing it. They, we, they created a website specifically for this work that deals, that has all a lot of interviews, that has program notes, that has the documentary that, that was created by Michigan about the work. I encourage people before, if they're able, to go and, and live with that website. It gives you, it has all of the legal cases. I work with the UM Law School that also has the legal cases and um, all of the ramifications of that and the decisions that were made by the courts in these cases. There's also worked with the School of Education to create um, a lot of educational materials that are on that website as well for people that has question, have questions that people can process and use that can be used as follow-up, that can be used beforehand. I hope, I hope you all will promote that and that folks will exp- live with that website a bit. There's a lot there. Yeah, that is wonderful to know about. And I will put that up on the uh, Eugene Concert Choir website as uh, mm-hmm. soon as we finish this interview <laughs> so people can <laughs> have an easy way to find it there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, for sure, having the conversation, promoting the conversation 
facilitating the conversation is a big part of what what we're trying to do uh, yes. with this concert. So there will there will absolutely be space and uh, stay tuned in. There'll be announcements of what's what's happening, how to be involved, and uh, you know, and how to move forward. How to yes, that's uh, right. Together, how to make the world together. better together. Yes. yes. <laughs> And having the composer's voice, you know, I can speak about it very intimately uh, as someone who premiered it and championed the work, but having Joel there, I, I, I have been, we've been together since 20, you know, 14, it's, it, you know, even though it was premiered in 2015. So you can imagine how many years I still learn new things every time he speaks about the work because he has grown so much also as an artist. He's now in residence with the Houston Grand Opera as their first composer in residence uh, there in Texas. And, you know, and he's finishing up his doctorate at Yale University. And he's just, uh, he's so articulate about his process, his thoughts, his thoughts about arts and its ability to, to affect change arts and its ability to really help us process um, many issues in our society today. I think he's really an arts cultural ambassador. Uh, and I look forward to have him speak as well, a part of this panel uh, that week. Yes, during the community forum, he'll be participating yes. in that. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I got the wrong name, the community forum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you may have already sort of addressed this, but do you um, have a hope for what our community here in Eugene will take away from this powerful collection of music? You know, I never like to tell an audience what to feel or or what to think. I'm very, very conscientious about that because I think you, um, you don't, I, I think sometimes, because that's through my own filter, so I will say what I do hope is that people bring an open heart and an open mind. That's that's all I hope for, because what they feel and think and what they take away from it may be bigger, greater, or totally different than what I, in my own filter of life, can even imagine. And so I just hope I just hope people will come with open hearts and minds. So other than coming to uh, concerts and um, doing the residency events that we have scheduled for the Black is Beautiful project, is there a way that our community can be involved with Exigence and the Sphinx organization from our home base here in Eugene? Absolutely. I first hope people will go to the website, Sphinx, S-P-H-I-N-X, music, org, which has um, so much information, information about not only exigence, but the organization, um, uh, ways to support, ways to learn about the work that's happening, um, the, the, the conference that they have every year, whether that's being a part of it virtually, they always have a virtual option. Um, they have all a lot of archived videos from those conferences, as well as watching videos and just donating to support diversity in the arts um, and championing uh, this organization that has been doing the work for over 25 years. You know, a lot of people are starting this work now, but when I think about their uh, really vision so long ago and the impact that they have had on classical music in this country, it's really bar none uh, in terms of diversity. And I hope uh, folks will familiarize themselves and get engaged and involved in any way that um, that inspires them. But first, visiting that website, I think they'll learn a lot. 
Absolutely. And uh, well, this has been a fabulous conversation. I've learned so much. Oh, thank you. (laughs) To close it out, do you have any words of advice for aspiring musicians in our community and especially for our young Black, Latinx and Indigenous community members? You know, the thing that I will say, a couple of lessons that I have learned in my short life is um, don't be afraid to be beautifully you. And so often, um, I know for myself, so often being, you know, being a black gay man uh, in America, uh, born poor, I was often trying to be somebody else. I was often trying to fit into a box. I was often trying to say the right things or talk a certain way or program the right music. And it was really this work, the seven last words of the unarmed, when I realized that, um, you know, I the best gift I can give to anybody is being honest and being true on stage and through how I communicate and being myself. It, from there, my whole life has changed. From there, I feel like I've made more honest music, truer music, more dedicated music, more heartfelt music. And I would encourage every artist from all backgrounds, but specifically the question you ask, uh, be yourself, be proud to be yourself, no apologies, but also be willing to learn and engage from everyone as well. So those would be my parting words. Uh, well, they are wonderful words. Thank you so much for uh, making the time to talk with us and you're truly inspiring. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love it. I'm so looking forward to this. Thank you. Thank you both for taking the time to chat with us and thank you for tuning in to the Holt Center podcast. Um, This is going to be a truly special performance um, for our community and tickets to Black is Beautiful start at just $10 and those are available at holtcenter.org.